You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Recap me how long your uh, your travels back to Australia land took this time. I mean, this is the longest it's ever taken me to get home. It took me about 58 hours. Oh my God. So I got stuck in, there was like the storms in New York. So many people got stuck though. There was like, Fab Twitter was ablaze with getting stuck on... Uh, on the east coast but then i also got to the west coast and missed my connection so i had to stay overnight get put up in a hotel and then had to wait 24 hours for my flight because there was only that flight heading out of san francisco if i was in lax it would have been way cleaner but I had to wait a day so i'm home now literally just walked off a plane an hour and a half ago sat down and we're going to record a pod about proton number one and spicy kano deck spicy kano deck indeed yeah um like I was saying to you earlier, I'm excited for it to, to sound clip episode 56 where someone asks if we're going to play Kano. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, pull the rug out and play Kano. Yeah, well, welcome back everyone to Arsenal Pass episode 58 where we are talking about the Pro Tour New Jersey, the New Jersey weekend that's just been an amazing weekend. Uh, not just the Pro Tour, but the calling, the players banquet on Thursday. There was a battle-hardened event on Sunday and so many more amazing side events. I mean, a, a gold legendary... Um, what is the merchant thing Silver called? Palms. Something palms. Silver the palms UPF, was given yeah. out at a UPF event. Like it's just a, a crazy weekend. I know. A, a, I think an alpha heart was opened in a box break that James White was a part of, so, or a case break. So, um, just an amazing phenomenal weekend. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Kano deck, uh, the spice that we ended up playing, and how that came to be, and how each of us came to be on that deck. But first, Brendan, I guess. Um, I, I mean, this week in Flesh and Blood has been the pro tour, so maybe we'll just come back around to them. We'll get straight into the news, yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. So, Proton New Zealand weekend in the books. Um, congratulations to our first ever Flesh and Blood Pro Tour champion, uh, Pablo. Pablo, you know, started at 0-2 in the Pro Tour and won the event. Like, that's actually the craziest story. I didn't know that until uh, they were doing the sort of the, cer- the, the ceremony uh, for the winner's ceremony on the Sunday afternoon. And Flake was saying, Flake was uh, hosting the ceremony and saying that Pablo started at 0-2 and then ground out you know 11 of the next 12 rounds winning 11 of the next 12 rounds to, to make it to top eight and then taking out the whole pro tour that's just uh if you ever think about mentality and and what it's like to be in the whole o2 uh you've got a pro tour champion that's done it so i think even in magic like that's really rare that something like that's ever been done so yeah um huge shout out to, to pablo massive congratulations to all of the of the top eight but not just the top eight i mean you know everyone that's uh competed everyone that competed everyone that made day two everyone that got to the you know maybe the top 64 the top 32 top 64 is cash top 32 is a pti um you know everyone who i guess even just went though even had the ability to to get that invite and to make it to pro tour number one uh, you're part of history so congratulations to everyone hey, uprising i just want to say like i bet there was a non-zero amount of people that went oh two and dropped the pro tour like i bet there was more than zero people maybe. that did that <laughs> which is crazy because pablo went 02 and then ground his way back up the top eight and actually won the entire tournament so like you said just like an absolutely incredible achievement to win the pro tour in the first place but to be sort of in the worst possible position you could be in like the worst start and grind it out to that win like it's incredible also pro tour champion is from spain we talked about on our last podcast what region we thought would uh be represented we talked about you know europe showing up and i I think they did we saw a lot of Europeans in the top eight and just great performances from players from um, 
that region overall? Uh, Europe well and truly showed up. Half of the, the top eight at the Pro Tour. Uh, we're going to talk about some retrospectives on our predictions, Brendan, uh, when we get into the main topic of the pod and talk about some of that regionality, some of the, the meta breakdown and, and everything, all the goodness from, from Pro Tour number one. Rest of the news, a few more items to round it out. Uh, we have Uprising World premieres. So we didn't really talk about this too much. Last week, we did mention it when it was announced the week prior, uh, shortly before us recording the pod. But these are all happening around the world. Three world premieres and team blitz callings. These are happening June 10th to 12th, Madrid, Las Vegas, and Sydney. Uh, I know you're going to be in Vegas, Brendan. I'm going to be in Sydney. So if you are going to be at those events, you know, look forward to, to seeing you and hopefully playing against you. World premiere is going to be an awesome time, you know, playing the first, I guess I get our hands, the first people in the world to get our hands. Uh, it'd actually be us, Brendan, Sydney, cause, you know, time zone wise, mm. we're going to be the first to get our hands on it. So I'll send you some nice juicy snaps of my deck that I play. Yeah, just give me all the tips so I can spike that event in Vegas. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to spike the world premiere, obviously. Um, so yeah, if you do want to get along to that, I believe there's still tickets for all of those events. You can get to them if you are uh, locally. I know I've heard getting to Vegas is a bit difficult with flights and accommodation. It's pretty pricey. There's a lot of things going on in Vegas that weekend. If you're in Australia, you know, get down to Sydney. If you're in if you're in Europe, maybe you can get to Madrid uh, and partake. ProQuest season is in full swing. So not only did we have the Pro Tour this weekend and the Calling New Jersey, we also had the first weekend of ProQuest season two. So I think there was about 100 ProQuests, someone was saying, or 80 ProQuests. We had quite a significant chunk of ProQuests uh, this season. I know uh, Chain, Starvo, all doing pretty well through week one. I'm sure we'll hear more about that as we get into the week and we get some data from LSS. Uh, I guess the focus was really on that New Jersey weekend, but we you know, can't lose sight of the ProQuest. People grinding their way, trying to get to France in a few months' time where we have Pro Tour number two, which is very exciting. So if you are looking for a ProQuest near you, head up fabtcg.com, look at the event locator. Um, we've got three more weeks, is that right? Two more weeks, three more weeks, three more weeks, right? Somewhere on oh. there. I mean, how, hey, now I want to know, how do you feel about Starvo being uh, being legal throughout this entire ProQuest season? Obviously, it's kind of just how the chips fell, but, uh, you know, what is it like? You're going into this meta. We've had Starvo hit Living Legend over the, the, the time in which we were at ProQuest New Jersey, but now we have to sort of deal with this... Uh, this guy for the for the rest of the season what do you think about the meta is it going to feel stale do you think people are going to spice it up or like what are your thoughts obviously i think uh some people might be packing a few more null room than before but uh i don't know about uh i don't know about this season right the meta is going to be kind of weird eh i don't know i think it's going to take a little bit of an evolution because that pro tour top eight and even even beyond the top eight into top 32 and 64 was pretty diverse um i know there's some uh, some deck break, uh, sorry, some metagame breakdowns uh, that we're going to get into in terms of not only the the top eight, like we said, but even day two conversions and what was hanging around at the top tables. Um, I made sure I took a pretty good look at that towards the end of of day two. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be quite interesting. Obviously, we saw a breakout weekend for for Kano, which we'll talk about. But Starvo, so start of the show, but I think three copies into top eight, right? So, uh, I think it's still the most represented deck in in top eight, but not significantly i mean if you'd said before the event that there's gonna be three star of the show on one chain you might have been a bit surprised by that top eight right so i think you could have said two kano and surprised a few more people a little bit more you know kano <laughs> uh, with maybe, a, yeah, i think yeah. a 33 percent conversion the top eight or something ridiculous like that yeah exactly so no i think the ProQuest season is going to be super interesting to be honest i think um it looks like chain and star of the show are still the dicks to beat and but there's more options out there which is is exciting to see so yeah really interested to see what sort of what happens with this progress season but yeah three just looked it up three weeks to go so you've got this coming weekend when the pod drops you've got next weekend the following weekend and then we're at the uprising world premiere so um yeah very uh 
very cool to see. Looking forward to it. Elsewhere on the on the docket, I guess, in the news as well, um, Brendan, we've got some giveaways. Uh, I know you just posted up on Twitter your giveaway for some Extended Art Heralds. Those are the, the content creator appreciation kits. These are the foil Extended Art uh, Heralds of Rebirth, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're giving those away on Twitter. If you want to win some from Brendan, make sure you hit up Brendan's Twitter. Uh, I have some to give away as well. Not sure how I'm going to give these out. I might do something at the calling in Sydney, uh, plus maybe something on Twitter. Just just leave it with me, but we will have some to give out to people. And um, we both have a, we both, right? You also have one, a Calling Fable package to, to give away this week as well, which we need to, uh, which we need to give to someone. That includes calling entry for the upcoming calling uprising world premiere entry as well, plus all the goodies, you know, the sleeves, the the two different promo cards. Um, you get everything in this fable package. So keep an eye out on I guess Twitter. I think I'm gonna give mine away on Twitter, easiest way to do it. So if you do want to get in and get you know, that I think it's you know worth 150, 200 bucks depending on where you are in the world, um, get that fable package, then check out Twitter. Yeah, I'll definitely be doing the same. Twitter. Twitter's sort of my go-to for that for that kind of stuff. I mean, so yeah, hey, just closing out the news here, I just want to give a big shout out to the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Um, you know, this past month, we were pretty busy preparing for Pro 2 New Jersey, and Hayden and I, obviously, as a, as sort of the, the demand to prepare for tournaments like this, our work life also spikes at the same time. Wouldn't have it any other way, but very busy. But coming out of, you know, coming out of the PT, we, we're going to have a lot of comp a lot of content for the pro quest season as well as uprising when it comes out um hayden and i for hayden and i limited is our bread and butter so very excited to see you know what kind of value we can provide there in addition we do have a kano deck tech going up hopefully by the end of this weekend just kind of waiting for sasha to finally make it home because um, he will be joining us we're going to do a deck tech on youtube but in addition we'll throw up a very detailed guide on a lot of like the nuance math and just more complicated lines on patreon so whether you're a patron now or it's something you might be interested in that should be up by uh by next week so definitely check it out if you're uh looking to uh, throw some throw some spells yeah, well, we're going to give a little bit of a, a, I guess a little bit of a tease of that now. I think mm. by the time this pod drops tomorrow, we're recording the day before, a little bit later than usual. Uh, the pod will drop, and then we're hoping to get the video out. It's probably going to be in the weekend now at the stage, just by the time, as Brent says, that obviously I was delayed back. Uh, we're going to get Sasha back, and then we're going to record that, and then we're going to get edited and up. But we're going to try and do that, hopefully, if not before Saturday, then on Saturday. So if you do want to run in for a pro quest, there's some information there at a top level. And then, yeah, the, the stickers. Very deep. We're going to talk a little bit about you know the the deck and um, I guess why we felt this was such a, a strong option for the weekend and why it did so well um, as we get into it. Mm. No, uh, no commander cookout this week, Brennan, because we do have some questions about the pro tour, which I'm going to tack on to. I guess our recap. Uh, you know, we, we can't go past talking about pro tour number one, so we do have a number of questions from Twitter and and some from our Arsenal Pass Discord as well about the event. People want to know things about you know. The pro tour about the deck about testing about everything leading up to it so we'll get into some of those questions later on but for now brendan i think it's time to dive straight into part one of the main topic which is uh it's one for the history books it's taking a look back at pro tour in new jersey absolutely let's get into it all right so you know the last time people would have heard our voices was the the thursday my, my t- honestly my head is so scrambled with uh, time zones and <laughs> where we are it's currently thursday for me it's it's wednesday for you right so uh about what six days ago was the last time everyone heard from us we were recording the pod on thursday morning before the or thursday afternoon before the players banquet um at pro tour new jersey we were sitting in our airbnb in new jersey and we talked about where we were out with testing uh at the time so it was actually in the morning wasn't it so i hadn't quite i was 
pretty i was pretty close to uh audible into kano at that point um you know, there's a few more a bit more convincing that afternoon and and then i changed over at that point uh and then as well we were kind of just getting ready last minute preparations you know looking forward to the players banquet then brendan that afternoon we um well we actually we got to spend the morning with fabled academy yeah and uh i'm so excited for what alex uh, is doing at Fabled Academy. If you, as I said last week, if you're not familiar with what Alex is doing at Fabled Academy, go and check out Fabled Academy on Twitter and YouTube. He was basically the unofficial documentor of the mm-hmm. weekend. Like the footage he caught, even to the point that I think by Sunday, LSS were like rope, you know, LSS and Channel Five were like working with him to make sure they could get the best possible sort of behind the scenes footage, right? Of the top eight. They, they even did like a big walkout thing that Alex helped film and, um, yeah, I mean, I have seen some of the footage. Like, he was showing us a bit of it, right? And he even put a few clips up on Twitter. Like, his production quality is so high and the effort he's putting in to document basically everything you're not seeing on the feature match tables at the Pro Tour is what Alex is working on. He's got narratives with with teams and groups of players. He's got, uh, you know, he's, he's got interviews with, with certain players, with people from LSS, people from um, Channel Fireball, you know, the commentary team, all these things behind the scenes. You're going to get a real taste of what it was like to be at Pro Tour New Jersey and the Calling New Jersey and what was happening through these minds of some of these players and teams without even even being there, which is going to be super exciting. Yeah, it's just he's, he's on a different level, right? I think some of the most Crazy. important work that is being done in Flesh and Blood um, and has been done up until now, right? Taking it to the next level, weaving the the narratives of the players, of the teams, of the regions. Like, this is exactly what we need in terms to, like, get this game to uh, sort of a better spectator position, right? Where people can empathize with players, can empathize with these teams, um, you know, like the Germans or Arsenal Pass or the Awoo, the Wolfpack, as I like to, <laughs> as I like to say. Um, I wanted to do a little, because we're about to talk about Thursday too, which is the banquet, but there's a little anecdote from that as well I want to talk about, because it's one of my favorite things ever, and it's going to come out in this video. And that's that we have to do, we're at the, we're at the banquet, and Alex has weaved this sort of narrative of like the German team and like Arsenal Pass kind of having like a beef, right? Like a little face off, a bit of a fun rivalry. And so we have to do this like walk up um, where like both the Germans, the German team and us walk up, walk up together. And then we meet each other and we talk a little trash or so and so. And we we're mic'd up and he films it and we walk up and like Christian Hawk and you know, all the boys are there and we're talking and Christian, I was like, yeah, Christian. So what are you playing? He's like, Starvo. You know? he's, I was like, what are you playing? I was like, Kano. And he's like, Oh, ha ha ha. And I was like, Oh, it was like laughing off. Um, yeah, I remember the next day he was sitting across from me and I'm like, look, Christian, look up. And he's like, I thought you were trolling me. <laughs> it's just the funny, <laughs> like the laughter, like back and forth as he's just like the most ridiculous answer ever. Of course. Um, but God, yeah. that video is going to be incredible. I mean, that he Alex has put so much effort and just passion into what he does, and you can just see it through the through the results. Oh, so so passionate about it, and he he's really clear about his vision. Um, I know it's you know he's worked with video and and um, I guess productions and things in the past, but this is like you know he's putting so much effort into this, and he's I think he's consistently learning as well. And I think people are going to be blown away by this. And to be honest, if he's not being contracted by Legend Story Studios or Channel Five, we'll contract the next pro tour. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it ourselves i i can't see it not happening though to be honest i think already by sunday i know uh he was already working with them a little bit to make sure that you got the best possible footage for favorite academy and um yeah so that's gonna be i can't wait for it to be honest i've got to send him the sound file today because he's doing something quite cool with our with our intro but i don't want to ruin it but um yeah looking forward to to seeing uh what that looks like and and how the beef comes across literally no beef i mean we had we had great chats with the german team it was our first time uh, i think for me it was probably the same for you brennan yeah 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 
Um, we talked throughout the weekend as well. Uh, well, you know, it was like before we met them, we were filming with Fabled Academy like the day before, and he was like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to like weave this narrative with like you and the German team. He's like, why don't you guys like talk some shit? <laughs> and of course, like he puts us on and like, you know, you we jump straight to it. I know. Yeah. So I just like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of just talked out of my butt or whatever. Um, and I think it that's came, unusual. Yeah. I think it came <laughs> off pretty funny, but it, I remember Hayden was standing next to me and he was like, when we started talking and like, Whatever I, whatever was coming out of my mouth at the time, Hayden was just appalled. He was like, so surprised. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, but no, it was uh, it was awesome. So, as I say, Thursday, uh, we we all. I think um, Luke was the last of our sort of. We had an Airbnb. There was me, Brendan, Sasha, who has also been part of our testing group, and then uh, Luke was staying with us, who's a, a good friend of Sasha's, Ira. Premier world champion, the first world champion we ever had in this the game of Flesh and Blood, Luke Badger, uh, was staying with us as well. Um, Luke played Dash in the main event. He arrived, and then we all rocked over to uh, the banquet, which was I honestly didn't know what to expect, Brendan. So just to set the scene, because I know there wasn't there was some pictures and stuff, but people who weren't at the, the weekend may not know what was happening. But effectively, we rocked up. It was the venue. The venue looked mm. completely different the next day. It was like kind of looked like there was like mood lighting and stuff on. There was like this full catering spread. Um, way more than I, I thought it was just gonna be some like sort of you know hors d'oeuvres or like small picking food but there was like a full like sort of catering center and you go around and you get your meals and there was multiple different sort of things around um, and then there were like tables all set up for people to, to standing tables or seating tables um, and basically the first kind of hour and a bit was just like mixing and mingling James White was uh, doing photo ops over in the corner uh, so you could line up and get your photo with with him and and, and have a chat to him which you know I, I know I definitely did not sure if you got the opportunity to Brendan oh yeah I did um yeah, yeah. And then just meeting everyone and seeing everyone, you know, either those that we've met at past events, past callings, um, or those that we, we hadn't met before, you know, people we hadn't had the opportunity to like the Germans, uh, like the Polish team. I met uh, multiple players from Sweden. Um, shout out to those guys. They had a pretty good weekend as well. So yeah, just an amazing time at this banquet. Uh, it was an interesting thing because it's like, everyone's there before the day before the pro tour. And it's a good way to settle nerves, I think, and kind of break the ice about, you know, this is historic. This is a historic moment. All these players have qualified and, and made this journey and everyone gets to interact. But then also on the flip side of it, I felt like people didn't really want to talk about flesh and blood because people don't want to talk about their... Like, you don't want to be disingenuous, right? And, like, uh, not talk about the decks you're playing or whatever. So people try to, like, almost kind of avoid talking about flesh and yeah. blood, which is quite interesting. Um, and I kind of like that, to be honest. I like that uh, a lot of my conversations weren't necessarily about... Well, they definitely weren't about the format. They were more so maybe about, you know, getting better at the game and... Um, those sorts of things. So it was quite I, interesting. Except, I was you know, telling everybody. I was telling everybody exactly what we were doing and exactly what we were playing. And the thing was, just nobody believed me because it was the Thursday the night before. So everybody thought I was trolling. I was like, "Yeah, playing Kano, um, just obviously the best deck." Uh, <laughs> so he was like, "Oh yeah, okay, okay." <laughs> I actually had a few people ask me that. That people would ask me that, like, uh, you know, have you decided because I've been pretty public about my sort of struggles with picking a deck for this format and picking a deck for this PT and not feeling good about preparation. And I'm gonna talk a bit about that. Uh, because, you know, in the end, I've had, had a really good weekend uh, from a, a placing standpoint. But had a few people asking me. And I, I think literally just before we got into the banquet, I started saving up Kano, right, Brendan? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on it. Let's go to the banquet and then let's get back. And I need to learn, like, the math and learn the the, the key plays for this deck. Um, so people asked me, I said, yeah, you know, I think I've locked the deck. I've locked the deck. Uh, you know, maybe not what people expect. That's kind of all I said. So <laughs> didn't want to give away, give away too much at that point. But, um, yeah. It, that was kind of you know it's pretty hard to give away playing Kano. I think people yeah. just pack that 
now we're in and, and you're kind of done you're kind of toast so to speak so, not on our deck though i don't well, think which we'll, no, we'll dig it we'll dig it into help. yeah well it definitely doesn't yeah. help um yeah i mean hayden switched to kano i mean he's gonna tell you a lot of things about oh i wasn't very comfortable or like whatever whatever you know a lot of these Haydenisms. this man walked in I think whenever you flew in, I think it was like Wednesday or something. And he was like, yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I'm doing I'm like, okay, bro. <laughs> I was like, this deck, it's the truth. He watched me play, I think two games. And he was like, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not playing dash or like whatever, whatever other deck he had maybe considered. He was just like, this deck is disgusting. I don't understand. Like the math here is like ridiculous. It does like, this is disgusting. And we were immediately kind of just like, yeah, and Kano for us is also, I think it's just like a spiritual decision. Like you can't be presented. That's actually, a big part of it. Yeah, you cannot be, and that was actually a big issue. I think in, in like when Sasha and I were like, "Hey, we're gonna play Kano," is that I'd had a conversation with Hayden about a week before, and we were really on the cusp of either Chain or Kano, and I was like, "Dude, I just like I'm too excited to play Kano that I may just be sort of biased and blinded to the results, right? Like I'm probably just gonna play Kano no matter what because it's awesome. Because like literally, I think it's like part of my religion that if kano is possible to play at a pro tour that i'm gonna play it it's too cool um if it's even remotely close to a tier one deck and i thought it was actually like a tier zero deck in this format um i'm on it right like nothing's gonna take me off that deck yeah yeah i mean really interesting because we're gonna talk more about sort of how kano came to be i guess in terms of our testing group but just a bit of a spoiler like kano is something that we've been looking at way back when the kind of with those bands hadn't been named, you know, that, that band restricted announcement kind of got kicked down the road and Kanan was a, a deck that, you know, I know yourself um, and some of the wider team were looking at as a way to target like Viscerai. Yep. And that was being tested. But uh, myself, I wasn't like super impressed with it, revisiting it. I know kind of um, some others in the team felt kind of the same. Uh, so I was pretty aligned with more of some of the other people in our team along like looking at Chain or in our testing group. Um, I had a, I guess a Chain list that was, pretty similar to michael hamilton's or you know michael hamilton showed me his list and i agree with a lot of decisions <laughs> and cop basically copied it uh you know because he you know he gave me access to that and um i still wasn't that that solved on i guess that sort of um set on on Canada. but yeah anyway yeah. that was that was kind of the thursday things changed for me uh i got shown the truth and then i guess we go to the banquet bank it was amazing like i say and then got back worked on some of the math i sat up to like 2am just goldfishing the deck because i i actually felt like for me i was prioritizing being comfortable on my lines more than like a good sleep i still had a pretty reasonable sleep i still got like five and a half hours or six hours which is like not terrible but i just needed that confidence otherwise i wasn't going to sleep anyway so that's kind of the decision i made i think you uh you immediately hit the hit the, hit the hay basically after we got back right not or not long after we uh oh, yeah. we sleeped up and yeah yeah i was comfortable i was comfortable at that point um like there's also something important to talk about here. It's like, like you said, we 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 sort of first ideated this deck to target Viscerai, and like at that time, it was actually kind of bad against Starvo, and it was like, wow, if Chain comes in with his Spell Void, or like it's just kind of potentially faster, it's just not good for us. But back then, while we had sort of the fun, like the ideology of the deck, which was around Aether Wildfire, like this combo-oriented deck, the deck back then sucked compared to what it became, right? So. I think we didn't make the most significant changes or at least some of the bigger ones that actually pushed us really over that edge until about five days before the tournament or something like that. So I think it was like very fair to sort of be like, eh, this doesn't look so good. Like it looked a bit flippy um, in testing back in that older meta. 
Um, and even when we, when we kind of brought it back up is like maybe like a final audible. So yeah, didn't really lock in the deck till about, uh, a few days before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like this is the thing is like chain was on the table for, I think everyone on the team, I yeah. think most of the team have been like, yeah, I'm just going to play chain. It's just the best, best thing we can do in this format. Um, but then I guess, yeah, there was a wizard hanging around on the edges. So Saturday day, one of the, uh, sorry, Friday, even day one of the pro tour, uh, we get in. And Brendan, you're on you're on camera immediately, round one. I thought we could just talk through Friday, just give kind of an overview of how the day went for us. I know it was a bit of a contrast, so I don't know if you just want to go sort of round by round and, and talk as much as we want and then... Yeah, I'll probably keep it high level just because we got a lot of days yeah. to get through. But so like round one, so there's a joke, there's a joke kind of between Sasha, Hayden and I that... Um, you know, three of us are playing Kano and we, we were said that, you know, one Kano would have to die for the sins of the others <laughs> to be playing Kano at the pro tour. And I think, unfortunately that was me this time. Um, so round one, I end up losing to aggro dash, which is not our best matchup, but definitely beatable, but it's just a little bit higher variance. Cause I think you have to find the combo pretty quick. Um, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, but after that, I can I actually pair into uh, four prisms, <laughs> um, not in a row, but it's not ideal. Uh, so that's kind of how my day one went. Ended up rolling into a lot of prisms. Did get, you know, ended three and four. So I didn't make day two, unfortunately. Did play the calling. But yeah, our deck was very tacked to be to be in the winner's meta, right? There's this concept of the winner's meta and the loser's meta. It's like you lose those early rounds, like round one, round two. You might be playing with some prisms who were for the most part, on the lower tables um, versus, you know, Hayden and Sasha who were largely playing against like Chain and Starvo and the decks that we were really tech to beat. So, yeah, my day one didn't go as well as I hoped, but I was very happy with, uh, you know, Hayden and Sasha's results going into, you know, at the end of that day. Yeah, I mean, I actually played against your Prism. I had a round one Prism, so not the best start. I was rethinking my life decisions after <laughs> pairing into Prism round one and, and starting at 0-1 in the Pro Tour not how I had envisioned it, but I also still felt really good about things. I mean, my my expectations were kind of out the window, to be honest, we're just heading into the Pro Tour just based on preparation. Um, I just wanted to enjoy the weekend as much as possible and just play the best I could play and leave everything else just kind of out there. Um, and that's ultimately what I feel like I did. There's only one match that I go back and, and I'm, you know, I still think about, which I'll get to in a second, but yeah, two Prisms, uh, played one, Round one, then beat one a bit later on in the day. Very close. That matchup is obviously very tough. I uh, then lose to a third one on camera in day three and uh, day two. Uh, I play into, like you say, that kind of like, yeah, the idea of the winner's meta, which they did end up being more prisms than most people would have thought and definitely more than you you would have thought, mm-hmm. Brendan. Uh, I, I never doubted prism. I, I've said that on the, <laughs> the podcast for the last few weeks. I thought prism would still show up and still be a reasonable choice and it ultimately did fairly well. Put a lot of people into top 32 and obviously a, a player into top eight. So, um yeah but then i played i think three starvos and, and uh two chain were my other five matches of of day one so pretty pretty good split about what we expected um i ended up losing round one but then winning the next five in a row and then coming to the last round of day one to finish six one if i can win it feeling pretty good uh ultimately i miss a line just through inexperience with the deck with a, a ragamuffin sonic boom play I thought I had the, the lethal damage. I think just a little bit tired, a little bit of experience, not knowing the math maybe as well as I should and and uh, kind of pump that one, which is not you know not a great feeling to end day one, but I think that's kind of the only feel bad I had of the weekend of like I felt like I let myself in the deck down. But yeah, Saturday, you know, I guess day one Friday felt pretty good hitting in. I think Sasha was X1, I was 5-2, and obviously, unfortunately for Brendan, a trip to the uh, the calling table. Yeah, 
And at that point, like I, I felt like I had really come to New Jersey to play the pro tour. I didn't come to play the calling. Yeah. Um, so I had a few choices going into Saturday, which was like, I could play Kano, uh, which is not like, it's just not really a great choice because, and we'll talk about Saturday cause it's freaking hilarious. The stuff that I faced on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kano, Kano after it's had sort of had like a breakout day on day one. Cause not only were we doing really well with it, um, or at least our team, but also Alexander Vore was at the top tables. You know, people were going to overtech for Kano, like disgustingly overtech for Kano. Um, despite how much might be represented in the calling. So I could have played chain, um in that but i was just like you know what i'm just going to play kano and teach people that nolrun can't save them and like that was that was sort of my goal was just to embarrass people yeah. that had brought overtech with nolrun because against our deck in particular like nolrun doesn't help like hayden said but we're not we're not really exploiting low nolrun it's great right yeah. it makes things easier but it's definitely not sort of a uh uh, sort of prerequisite for the deck to be functional. no no it does make some games an absolute joke though um oh, yeah. i know sasha sasha on day i think round one of day two uh sasha's opponent goes sasha's opponent is playing chain on the play i think they're like ab0 or ab1 yeah. they go soul shackle banning demigon and sasha goes uh in response to that banning demigon before it's a, an attacking card kill you <laughs> yep i did that to a briar player on in the calling literally literally turn turn zero he goes first you're dead. <laughs> I did not get the opportunity to do that, uh, but I know you did. It. I know Sasha dealt an 86 damage uh, game, like in one turn as well. So, yeah, the deck does some ridiculous things. Mine were a little bit more grindy, but uh, that's okay. I also was less experienced and maybe missed some of those lines. So, it just kind of shows the power of the deck. But yeah, like you say, seven Kano's in total. Four make day two, two in the top eight, three in the top sixteen. Like that is. You know, Kano had by far the best conversion. Like that's it's not even you know can't even touch that. That's that's crazy. So, um, yeah, we play we play day one. Uh, we get back to the Airbnb. It's starting to get quite late. We want to have a nice dinner. I know Brennan, you went like feeling like the best. You want to chill out, like just re regroup. You can just uh, tell so him what I stuff. did. I literally was like, you know no, what, guys, uh, you guys go do your dinner. I'm gonna go take a bath. I'm gonna treat myself. Um, yeah, yeah, just chill out, take a nice bath, like regroup for this beat down I'm about to put on these AB3 guardians the next day. So myself, Sasha and uh, Luke went for a little, little date. We went to this beautiful restaurant on the pier uh, down in, in New Jersey, not far from, I guess we were staying. So West, West New York um, had an, a great dinner, the best dinner I had, I think while I was in, in New Jersey um, and then enjoyed and sort of, sort of decompressed and talked about how we we're going to win the pro tour <laughs> and then came back and uh, went to bed and then got up for Saturday. So, Guess I'll give a little bit of a recap on on Saturday. Um, you know, for myself and Sasha, we both end up in the. I sort of win my first few rounds. Sasha, I think, goes one one his first few rounds. We quickly end up in the X two bracket together, uh, and then I I get a game on camera against Prism against uh, Mike, who uh, people might know. Mike, he's from Canada, awesome dude. Um, just didn't you know? It's a tough matchup. I actually had an opportunity to win, but I actually like brick double red on my hand uh the turn that i need to kill him and then also ragamuffins red so just couldn't you know couldn't quite get there ends up being not my you know not my game which is, is all good so x3 still live though and uh and then sasha is x3 as well and then we both end up having winning in, in the last round which is just enormous both playing at star we're actually sat next to each other which is hilarious next to michael too all three of you were next, literally just next yes to michael yeah it was like yeah me sasha michael in a row i don't think i actually I, unfortunately i don't think michael's was a winner and i think he'd lost the round prior but um both me and Sasha have have the winning ins, 
and uh, I just get dismantled, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, my opponent plays three Starboard fused Okanolds in uh, the first four turns, and um, I actually have an out. Like, if I if I hit the, the Lessons in Lava in my last hand, if I draw into it, um, I'm okay. Uh, but uh, just just doesn't doesn't happen, and I, I can't dig and get there. Um, so miss top eight, end up fourteenth, um, which is good enough for a PTI and, and some cash. So definitely not upset given the you know the the weekend coming in. I had, like I said, expectations were kind of out the window. Didn't know what I was going to play. Ended up on the deck, and it was amazing. It was so powerful, and I'm so glad I got to play Kano at the PT. Like that's just I can't amazing, believe that. Right? Talked about that. We <laughs> and, talked about this for years. I think was like PT number one. And play Kano, right? Kano is like it's so funny because Kano seen as one of the most unplayable classes and characters yeah, in Flesh yeah. and Blood, and it was like God, you just get to go to PT yeah. one and just have that breakout performance. Like I, I so think Francis that Francis Azalea, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. There you go, <laughs> Francis Azalea. Maybe um, I doubt it. I don't know. It's going to be hard to sort of do top that one. I think. I think Sasha and I, we when we went to the first constructed calling, we had sort of like a similar kind of situation where we took the like premier aggro deck and flipped it to like a control deck. But uh, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to top Kano at PT one. I think that's that's the peak there. Yeah, pretty tough. So yeah, Sa- Sasha ends up uh, making it to top eight. I just want to like briefly touch on because uh, I know some people had mentioned it to me and and said in comments I had a couple of messages um, about. The last round of the PT, um, Sasha's round, Sasha's opponent was DQ'd from the event. Um, not going to talk too much about it. I think you know, generally when people get DQ'd in an event, Alexis will add a, a statement to like the recap of the event. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I don't think it was ever intentional from Sasha's opponent what happened, um, but just unfortunately, you know, I guess the the result of that is a disqualification for his opponent, which. Yeah, um, it's not not the place you want to be in the last round of the Pro Tour. So I I don't really have much more to say, I guess, Brendan, because I just don't know the the ins and outs of exactly how that happened. We didn't talk about it too much with with Sasha, and obviously Sasha wasn't privy to the conversation that happened with the judges uh, and and his opponent. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like the like we all know that I think the same amount of details. Like basically, there's like a sleeve issue, um, then it's deck checked, and like I think that his opponent just kind of got a little bit unlucky on like whatever thing was actually, you know, marked. Um, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think any of us do like think that there's like a sort of uh malicious intent or anything like that. It's just really unfortunate. Um, that's what happened. I actually feel very bad for him having to go through that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's really all, that's really all there is to the situation. I, don't th- I literally think there's nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So in the end of the day though, uh, Sasha is in top eight. Uh, as I say, I finished fourteenth. Michael, who uh, opted, you know, was with the chain deck that I was looking to play for something very similar uh, up until probably about twenty four hours before, finishes in I think seventeenth, so just misses the top sixteen, but still grabs another PTI in the top thirty two. Um, and you know, we're we're set for set for an awesome Sunday with two Kano's in the top eight. So the the top eight breakdown ends up being three Starvos, two Kano, second most represented in the top eight, a Prism, a Chain, and a Briar makes out the top eight. Mm-hmm. So let me um, let me tell you all what it's going to be like to play Kano in yeah, the, pro, in the ProQuest the season. So I get to the calling. This is the calling, by the way. This isn't what your ProQuests are going to look like. They're going to be even worse. But um, first round, Starvo, AB3. Second round, Starvo, AB2. And this is AB2 plus Crown. Like These are really grindy matchups. Like These people way over tech for Kano. Because even if you look at, at the calling, like minuscule amount of Kanos, not to mention the amount of people that could actually pilot that deck. Um 
not that it's really hard. It's just, I don't think that's something that you sleeve up and just, you can immediately, like, it just kind Run of works. It. Like yeah. there's, there's a, there's a process of learning there. Um, and then pretty much all my opponents had like two AB plus, like the rune blades, obviously it's a joke if they have AB cause they just don't have the resources to do anything with it anyway. But, um, yeah, I had like some very grinding guardian matchups, like 30, 40 minutes, like, um, not the point of deck stacking, but you know, to the point where Tome of Fendal was like the best card in my deck because it was letting me gain life and extend the game out. Um, but yeah, I, I beat almost all of the opponents that had more more uh, more Arcane Barrier than they should have because the deck is not a, it doesn't prey on Arcane Barrier. It preys on like Windows, and that's almost irrespective of the amount of Arcane Barrier. The less there is, the easier it is. But you can still sort of tempo their arsenal and then ultimately combo them um, because you apply you apply pressure on both sides of the turn. Like Kano always has the option to play um, at one point in the game, guaranteed via Stormstriders on both both sides of the turn cycle right and that's usually kind of the kill turn but uh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i mean some really grindy matchups and (laughs) just showing people they're not safe you can pack it all it doesn't matter yeah yeah the the um i think the good the good thing you just there is like the way to look at it is like when you have these high ab decks you have less window creations so there's less time less less time frames but there's still windows and it's it's not about necessarily what the ab does in terms of being able to stop everything it's about shutting down windows and when people have lower ab you just get these these wider windows so i think that's literally what it is but yeah so i know uh for yourself you end up just missing day two i think of the calling yeah i went four three but honestly i had literally no interest in playing that sunday like i wanted that sunday off um which is weird because i will literally travel across the united states or even probably travel to europe to play a calling but i went to new jersey to play a pro tour not to play a calling um and I think picking Kano for day for the calling was a pick for fun, right? Um, when you know people are going to overtack, they're going to really try to exploit you, whatever it is. So I had a great time, like I had a lot of fun, and I was really happy going, you know, post calling, having my you know my friend Sasha make it into the top eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we head back on Saturday evening. Uh, we start testing the matchups. We test Sasha's quarterfinal matchup. Uh, he's playing a Starvo with AB one plus Crown. Kind of know this matchup pretty well, but we just test their specific list and um, kind of come to the conclusion that uh, the, the they just kind of have to high roll. They just have to do basically what my opponent did to me. So it's basically it's the exact same list. I played a teammate of Isaac Kroots, who Isaac is going to be Sasha's opponent in the quarterfinals. Isaac is going first. That's that's the advantage they have. That's pretty important. Um, but basically, the, I guess the conclusion we come to is like it's pretty favored for for Kano. Uh, but yeah, if you get those Oak and Old turns, you get those dominated turns, and then you maybe whiff on on some of your draws. Uh, Starbo can win pretty pretty handily. So that's the conclusion we come to. And then we start to think about you know what next. You know what if Sasha gets past this? Then we're looking at the the Prison matchup, maybe the Briar matchup, uh, and a Kano mirror. We, me and Brendan start thinking about like all right, how would we approach this Kano mirror? We even played a few games uh, before we we no longer needed to do that after Alex um, got 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 binned oh, out yeah. by the Briar, yeah, in the quarterfinals. Um, but yeah, end up ultimately what ends up happening is, is exactly what we said. The way that Starbo has to win is is what happens to Sasha. Um, gets pretty pretty rolled pretty quickly. A lot of dominated attacks come in. If you go and watch that match though, it looks like it's over for Sasha so quickly, but it's not. Sasha can actually win on the final turn. But he bricks. He's one resource short of being able to kill Isaac. He hits the. It doesn't hit the blue, and unfortunately, just just can't quite get it done. But it's so so close. Literally, just one resource between him and and uh, the next stage of the of the top eight. This is how it goes, right? Um, we tested a lot. Like we tested a lot that night and during the day. 
while Top mm-hmm. 8 was being played on Sunday. And yeah, I mean, you were just playing, just jamming games, right? Yeah. So I had a little nap and you just jamming games. <laughs> yeah. Then put, he played some. And <laughs> yeah, we put all of our effort into like anything about the Starva matchup. Because we played it a million times. Like the Starva matchup is like a very, very consistent matchup for the Kano deck. Like it's yeah. it's definitely, it's got to be either 90-10 or approaching higher than that. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty miserable to be on the Starva side of that. That being said, like, yes, you can absolutely win. Like when you have What's a character, oh, the show. yeah, exactly. When you have a hero like Starvo, like you, there's no deck that will always beat that deck, right? Like it can win. The, the ability is powerful enough. And also Kano, while we run uh, 36 blues, like you can still brick, of course. Um, and that's ultimately what happened to Sasha, which is funny. Cause like we, when, as soon as Alexander lost, cause this is the anecdote too, this Ale- Alex's deck, <clears throat> looks a lot better than Sasha's in the mirror. Like, um, like infinitely better. Uh, and we actually might have considered just fatiguing him because, like, uh, his deck list was um, significantly better in the mirror from what it looked like, and we had much more blues than he had access to. We almost packed one Timekeeper's Whim in the deck list, which would have we probably would have fatigued him in that case. But since we didn't, um, we were testing a lot of the Wizard Mirror, and I think that that was actually really interesting because we had a lot of these ideas about the Wizard Mirror, like, oh, Stir Forked is really good, Wildfire is unplayable, etc., etc. Mm. And th- that stuff actually ended up being pretty wrong. <laughs> Wildfire yeah. is just broken <laughs> in the mirror still because, like, Let's say you wildfire them on their turn. They've already extended some amount of resources into you. What are they going to do? Like boots with their action point and play another thing? It's not going to kill you, right? If you're hitting them with three spells plus the wildfire being one of them, they're dead. <laughs> so yeah, it was funny. It was kind of cool to like learn that matchup and prepare and like come to these conclusions as we were kind of preparing for what we thought would be the finals. Yeah, unfortunately, ultimately, it doesn't, doesn't end up mattering. Um, and then, of course, Isaac moves on. I think Isaac then plays against the chain player, right? Which is Pablo, who mm-hmm. and... Pablo wins that, and then Pablo goes on to to win the Pro Tour. So, congratulations to, to Isaac, to, to Pablo, to everyone um, in that top eight. Just uh, really cool to watch. They play one by one. You can go and watch the coverage if you haven't already. And uh, I was sneaking over to watch in between us sort of playing games and stuff. Um, and then, you know, we're at the Pro Tour Sunday. We're, we're having fun. We're hanging out with everyone. We're just having, like, the, the gases time, right? Like, it's just awesome um, hanging out with everyone. We end up doing some team drafts, Brendan. Now, I'm going to throw over to you to tell us about the team drafts. <laughs> Because um, this was your idea, you were you were captain. You were organizing these team drafts. Captain. So who did we? Team- yeah. I, I think I think I think I'm more like daddy, right? Because nobody else will freaking do it. Like nobody can get anybody organized. So I gotta go try to find everybody, get them together, get the box, do whatever. But the reason why Hayden is throwing this over to me is because you know I didn't really have the best record in team. You draft. might be off the team. That's why I didn't. Th- watch your mouth, son. I didn't have the best record in team draft, but I was a I was great support, good cheerleader. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that a lot of Hayden's success on in the team draft was fueled by just, you know, me pumping them up. But yeah, we, we play against the Wolf Pack. Uh, we lose um, 3-4. And then... That one hurts. <laughs> doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. But, you know, look at the look at the games on camera, scoreboard. You know what it is. And then we played against the Brits, um, and we got dumpstered in Monarch draft, unfortunately. Pat- particularly, I went 0-3. Played I was going to say, I won my first two rounds. <laughs> All right, Hayden. All right, Hayden. Hayden won his first two rounds. But yeah, went 3 played a chain deck. It just wasn't very good. But end of the day, it was just like team drafts are fun, right? So we had a lot of fun, yeah. played multiple formats. And it, I think it's really cool being able to play like these, you know, these groups of players, right? So whether it's the Abu, the Wolf Pack, um, or it's the Brits or the Germans or whoever, it's just cool to sort of have that like 3v3, like team v team aspect. So I had a good time. Um, and Sasha actually played some of them with us because he got binned off so early. 
<laughs> yeah, he finished his top eight match and he he'd only played literally like three games, you know, one game of actual flesh and blood on camera and then a couple of games prior for sort of some, some warm-up and that was it. So, yeah, he jumped in for the second draft, which unfortunately we still lost. So we're going to have to regroup on that, Brendan, and get better. But team team drafts, honestly, encourage people to play team drafts at, at events, at Pro Tours. I think the this, the... the um, the sets with four heroes works way better because there's like tension between like who drafts what heroes. When you have three heroes, you can easily end up with like three and three, and it, it's not as exciting and as strategic. I don't think the four heroes is a lot tougher to damage with the six players. So yeah, uh, I think hopefully that becomes a culture at uh, Sundays for Pro Tours um, when people play. Yeah, people people are looking for it. Right? Other... Yeah, people are looking yeah, yeah, to yeah. team drafts. So like, it's I think it's already a thing, but like. Um, you know, come like some future callings or like even the next pro tour, whatever it is, I think it's going to be very popular. Um, so yep. I'm excited. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, there was a battle hardened on the Sunday as well. Uh, I found out it was 10 rounds and I decided to not play that. Uh, <laughs> and instead, you know, obviously help, help Sasha get ready and uh, then do some team drafts. So no, Sunday, great. And then we went out for uh, some dinner. We took us about an hour to get into the city, but we went out to uh, Los Tacos in the city. Had to obviously do that institution in New York. And then we went to uh, went to a couple of bars with Zach and the team Covenant guys with the Wolfpack. You know, they they gave us the beatdown and they had a they gave us a pity invite to uh, to dinner and some drinks, right, Brennan? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, just just catching up and you know uh, what does Zach say? Rivals on the court, friends off the court. Something like that. Something like that. I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm actually going to be playing on the Team Covenant channel next week on Tuesday with Steven because Zach's actually going on vacation. So Steven and I are going to play some Blitz. I'm going to convince him to join Sasha and I, um, or Hayden and I maybe in Vegas. Now Hayden said he maybe he's going to be playing in Sydney, but Hayden and I for the Team Blitz event in Vegas so that Steven can finally make the move over to his uh, the true home team, you know his spiritual brothers in arms and uh, we can dunk on the wolf pathing in Vegas. But overall, you know, I love those guys. They're just awesome. They've been friends Amazing. for a long time now. So it's great to always hang out with them at these events. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all in a, an amazing weekend and um, it's sad. It's over to be honest. Uh, sad it's over, but we've got another pro tour coming up in France, not too far away. We've got the calling in Vegas, Madrid, Sydney, wherever you're going to be. Can't wait for that. Uh, looking forward to having an awesome time and and I will be in Sydney, Brennan. Sorry, I'm not coming to Vegas. I will be in Sydney. Uh, me and the me and the the team that we've organised for that already starting to think about blitz and what we might play. So we'll start to have a look at the, the, this week after a bit of a bit of a decompression post pro tour. But Brennan, want to talk about circle back onto the Kano deck. Um, had a lot of questions. A lot of people asked about the deck over the weekend. Plus, we had a lot of questions on you know Twitter and stuff. So first of all, I'm just gonna I'm gonna let you do the talking here. I'm gonna mm -hmm. ask you some questions and let you fire off, but. First of all, why decide to play Kano? I know you've already talked about this a bit, so you can be pretty, I guess, succinct about this and just kind of wrap it up if you like. Yeah, so why decide to play Kano, right? <clears throat> um, well, he was viable. So we saw pretty early that he was, it was going to, the combo deck, this, okay, we need, to, we need to back it all the way up to like, this is not a Kano deck, right? Like, yes, we're playing Kano, and yes, it looks like we're doing Kano things, but it's very different from what, the traditional way that Kano is operated. It's absolutely a combo deck. It wins with Wildfire almost every single game, and it does it in a consistent manner, right? And it's by playing Wildfire um, on your opponent's turn, then banishing for, from Kano's ability. You can hit any almost any card in your entire deck. You just need to hit a blue one drop, and then you Ragamuffins the Blazing on top. Obviously, you can do this backwards as well. You can Ragamuffins the... Um, the Aether Wildfire on top, and then Kano in response, and just basically do the same line, right? And that's what we did every single game. 
because the base damage on a double pump, and double pump means crucible of eighth wave plus metacarp stones is 32, um, and then it goes 25, 22, as you don't have a resource for each. So ultimately, that's what we're playing. We're not playing Kano, we're not playing Reverberate, or just trying to spike people in low AB or anything like that. So ultimately, we're just playing a combo. Um, Basic game plan, yep. Yeah, so why is yep. that... <clears throat> Why decide to play that? Why is that good? Um, well, into decks like Starvo and Chain, obviously they didn't really ha they weren't packing for AB. Starvo's got a lot to worry about, especially in the form of Prism. We'll be kind of teching for that, and then Chain at the same time has to tech for aggro as well as tech for fatigue. It's uh, you know for these kind of events, so not a lot of room in the sideboard for AB, <clears throat> and. We just found a way uh, to make the Kano deck consistently hit that combo by turn three. We did that through the use of a lot of tomes. So we had three tome of Fiendal, three tome of Eighth Wind, um, and then, like I said, the sort of the sort of burn spell we had to hit off the top in order to pull off this combo was almost any single any card in the deck just couldn't be the E pot. But you know, obviously that nets you minus one resource. So we yeah, someone someone did hit that though. Yeah, someone did hit that. But yeah, we pull played. I don't hit the eye. Yeah, we we played Kano because it was a non interactive combo combo deck that was particularly good into the two most represented de decks um, at the Pro Tour, which was Chain Starvo. Um, after that, you know, if you go to something like the Pro Tour, and especially in the context of like a banning like this, <clears throat> where, you know, we had a we had a banning not too long before we were, I guess you could somewhat say it was an unknown meta. This Kano deck and this combo was good into everything except Prism and, like, kind of Ice Lexi, right? Like, Ice Lexi was not a great matchup and Prism was not. We knew Prism would be there. Uh, turns out Ice Lexi is actually a great matchup. Yeah. We knew Prism would be there, but... Yeah. Um, but we felt like it would it wouldn't be to an overwhelming extent that it would make it not worth to play Kano, and we thought the matchup was still winnable. So that's a great that's a great place to be in. We talk about linear game plans and those being really strong um, in metas like this. While this is a combo deck, it's like the most linear, uninteractive game plan I've ever played in my entire life. <laughs> like, if a deck yeah, doesn't know what this deck is trying to do, it loses. That's literally it, right? Like, if you boil it down, it's a, it's a power. It's like one of the most powerful linear decks in the format, if not the most powerful linear deck in the format. To be honest, it's super powerful. It uh, takes advantage of people being underprepared for it and not not uh, packing arcane barrier because they cannot fit it in their decks. It takes advantage of people not understanding how the deck works at all. Uh, because like you say, it's not just a Kano deck, it's this specific combo deck. There's specific breakpoints, there's things you're trying to set up and and we'll um the deck tech we're gonna throw we'll, we'll dive into this a bit more. Um but that's what it's taking advantage of. And then also just being um I guess able to just kill really fast. And uh when you have these decks that are really underprepared, it's um it's so easy to set up. And then also the one card you didn't talk about is uh, Lessons in Lava. That card is, is very powerful and enables consistency as well with the plan you're trying to enact, with that combo you're trying to enact as a tutor, as a kill condition on the the, the intern. Like, there's so many things that Lessons in Lava does for that deck as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, a lot of important pieces in that deck and, and um, a lot of good reasons to play it for this event. Yeah, so th there's also part two of, like, why you play Kano. And this is uh, outside of sort of the answer that I gave you, which is the deck being powerful and it being just a fundamentally good choice. But if you look at the options that you had going into this pro tour, I feel like none of them were great. You had a lot of good options, right? You can play Starvo mm. and there's going to be Prism. You can play well, Chain. Like I'm not sure what to play, right? Exactly. Like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can play Chain and play a lot of Mirrors or play into Fatigue, which maybe you don't feel comfortable into. Like there was a lot of these decks that I felt like we could have picked up and we could have cho chosen and had good performances, right? But it felt like it would have been really hard to win the Pro Tour on those decks. Where with Kano, once we had sort of made some changes and just felt like we had discovered the deck, we're like, wow, 
this this gives us a chance to win and that's why we ended up on the deck and that's why i think that like colloquial colloquially or like whatever that word is that's why we call it the deck right it's just a fundamentally different way of thinking about flesh and blood like everybody's going there trying to sort of micro micro their list to get this little edge and this matchup or that matchup and just trying to bring in like a sort of good deck to a big field like the pro tour and kano is just flipping that on its head right where it's like, we're going to play what people think is the worst deck. We're going to play Flesh and Blood in a way that nobody else is playing. No other deck is attacking on this vector. And it's going to dominate. And like that was the whole idea. It's like this combo, you can't interact with it. People don't even know where the damage is coming from. They don't know that Aether Wildfire, like how important it is, what the thresholds are, what life they're dead at, what life they're not. And there was a huge surprise factor there. But I think fundamentally, Kano is just not very interactive, right? So even if our opponents did know... There was nothing they could do. So it was, uh, yeah, I think it was just a good opportunity to play play that hero. And we felt like it gave us a better chance to win the Pro Tour rather than just have a good performance. While at the same time, we had an opportunity to go 0-3. <laughs> right? Where it doesn't feel like yeah. that if you play Chain or Starvo. It feels like if you play Chain or Starvo, you're going to have a good performance almost no matter what. Felt like with Kano, you know, you get a bunch of prisms. You're going to be in it for a bad time. The day before, when I, I told Luke, who was staying with us, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pivoting. I'm going to play the candidate. And he said, you know, like, you've, you've got this dash list. You've got this chain list. Like, why, why, you know, and a lot of reps on those at this point. Why, why pivot? And I just said to Luke, I'm not here to play the first pro tour to top 32. I'm here to win the event. And I think changing to this, even if it's the last minute, um, gives me an opportunity to do that. And then also, I get to play Kano at the first pro tour. And that's just something that's super exciting to me. Um, but yeah, I agree. I felt after losing that first round, like I could easily go <laughs> three here and uh, be regretting my de decision. But I don't think I would have. I think I wouldn't have not regretted it because of the the way that I'd come to the conclusion um, at the end of it. So do you want to... We're going to talk more about the deck. Of course, there's going to be a deck tech on the Kano list. Um, but I want to just do a bit of a retrospective on the event overall. Brennan, mm -hmm. a few questions. And then we've got some listener questions to, to finish up as well for episode 58. So, thoughts on the meta we saw. Was it about what you expected? Any surprises to the meta? Any things that you, of course, you know, Kano aside, any things that... Yeah, um, more Prism than I expected, right? Like, obviously, I think, I still mm -hmm. don't think that Prism was the a great pick into the Pro Tour, but it did perform well. Where it really surprised me was people like Tyler Horsepool having a lot of success with Fatigue Prism into Chain. I think that's where a lot of his wins actually were coming from early in day one. Um, I saw sort of a recap from his Twitter post that, you know, he played quite a bit of chain on day one and he was, he was at the top tables. So that surprised me. <laughs> we also said decks like the one you faced, which was what Mike was on, or even the one in the top eight, which was just kind of like similar to the older list that we've seen. Um, and they were doing well. So I didn't expect that. I expected those, those lists to have a lot of trouble with chain. So I would be interested. I don't know what their sort of tournament path looked like, but still, I think we saw Prism convert better uh, to an extent from what I saw, right? Like, so conversion's a funny word because I think on the aggregate, Prism did pretty bad, but, you know, they Prism did put a few players into, like, you know, top 32, top 8, um, so I think that it did really well. It did better than I expected from that perspective. But yeah. on the low tables, like, those were, like, that was heavily saturated by Prism players. Was it? I mean, you look at the, just the raw data, Prism had one of the best performances of the weekend. What's so, the uh, like what's the conversion? Uh, I think it was fifteen percent into twenty percent on day two. So um, pretty pretty good result. I mean, I had said this in the lead up to Pro Tour. I think I was me and you locked horns multiple times in, in discussions about testing of 
prison not being relevant or not being a good choice. So, and I disagreed a lot along the whole way. Um, I didn't think it was the the choice I would have made for the PT, but I knew it was a choice a lot of people would have made. And I think it was still that, you know, if you go, this is the way I look at it, right? Is that if you say Prism has a bad matchup into Chain and Briar, but is really good into Star of the Show is, um, you know, maybe you've got able to have a good Lexi matchup as well. And then you're good into some of these kind of, these other decks, these other Guardians, there's some Ultim showing up and then you feel good in your mirror. Well, you're looking at being feeling pretty confident to like 70% of the meta. Like how, how much better off can you be if you pick a different deck? Like if you go with Starvo and you expect Prism to show up, plus you like, you feel the mirror is really like flippy and, you know, not very like skill intensive maybe, which I know a lot of people feel like um, to a degree, then maybe you're at a similar percentage. So I think like the reason that people bought Prism as like either comfort picks or they feel like they had a plan to fatigue chain or whatever it was, uh, made a lot of sense to me. And I wasn't surprised at all to see Prism do what it did um, and put, you know, a few people into top 32 plus someone into top eight. I just, yeah, I think maybe I thought it was going to be more like 10 or 12%, 15% was a little bit more than I expected. Um, and it maybe did a little bit better than I expected on in terms of like being, you know, one fifth of the field on day two. But uh, yeah, sort of leads into surprise number two, which is less chain than I expected. I expected chain. Yeah. I expected more chain. There was, um, you know, Starvo was the most represented deck. I think that, mm-hmm. Your chain could have easily swapped places within there. Like if chain had been the most represented deck, it wouldn't have particularly surprised me. And then the fact that Starvo was didn't particularly surprise me. But the gap between Starvo and chain that did surprise me. Like I felt like there was less chain than I uh, I would have expected to show up there. Yeah, I mean, so Starvo ended up being what like a third of the field basically with start of the show, and then chain was about twenty five percent, right, or just just over. So you know, a bit of a, a drop off there it was about yeah, you know, sixty odd percent between the the both of them making up the field. But I think in the days prior, we wouldn't have been surprised if Chain was the number one played deck just based on like the conversations and what people were saying. But ultimately, Star of the Show is so powerful just in terms of its its it, what it does, that hero ability. So yeah, like you say, a bit surprising to see less Chain, but not actually that surprising to see as much Star of the Show uh, as we did. And I think I agree with you. Next one, regionality. We talked about performances of regions and, and who we were looking out for, what we thought, you know, where people were going to do well from. Um, in the end, I think we both said that we felt like a North American player would probably win it just based on pure numbers. In the end, what we have is we have four Europeans in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a, a player from Spain, a player from Austria. Uh, forgive me, I can't remember the two other European players were from. Just have to go back and have a look. Um, I think there's a Polish player in there. And then you have two uh, North American players. So we have, sorry, two US-based players and, and Alex and... Uh, our Briar player, and then you have, uh, I guess, an Australian come New Zealander, yeah. Sasha. Sasha is such an enigma of a like a country that we could attribute him to because he also almost exclusively tests with North Americans as well, and like lived in well, lived no, in Texas. Well, I mean, the side of Caden there, but you know, like Sasha, do we give him to New Zealand? Do we give him to Australia? Or do we give him to Texas? I think we're giving him to Texas on this one. Did that little boot no, camp down here? You're giving him for the narrative here because I'm about to weave this for you. You're giving him to Australia, all right? So <laughs> because Sasha's you want to say that New Zealand didn't get any top eights. <laughs> want to issue a challenge to the New Zealanders for next uh, next PT? Um, they can talk about jet lag and the travel and stuff all they want, but both me and Sasha came from that that neck of the woods, so. Um, and Matt, Matt, Matt Rogers finishes at fifteenth, so you know it's not not undoable. It's not <laughs> not like it can't be done. Um, and then lastly, you have a Canadian player. We have a Canadian player on top eight. I'm trying to rack my mind. Yes, we had Isaac Crute. So 
that's the the breakdown of of the top eight by region. Europe massively showing up. I think they were about a third of the field. I want to say as well, like they were really represented. European players travelled in massive numbers between the Germans, the Polish, uh, um, the team from Sweden, the group from um, rest of groups come from. Of course, the UK group as well. Ireland, uh, like that. That's players. my favorite thing, yeah. dude. Is like when you just like you meet the Ireland. whole group from like whatever country in Europe because there's just such an identity. Um, they all like travel yeah. together. So yeah, it was great meeting so all groups. But Love like, it. yeah, they totally showed up. Hey, and you had said this like months and months and months ago when we first talked about this topic of like, what would be the breakout? What are the breakout regions in Flesh and Blood, you know, in like mm. X months or a year? And you were really high on Europe. And of course you were back in episode 57 as well. And I think you were totally right. Like Europe has really, they've come in to the game and I think that they've uh, sort of planted their flag on the hill, you know, and they're here to stay. Like it's a dominant force. Won the PT, put four players in top eight. Uh, I think they're here to stay. Yep, and the next PT is in Europe as well, and a lot of qualification spots for Europe. So, a uh, bit of a challenge to North America, to Oceania, to I think the one that surprised me. If I would say the opposite side is to not see a player from from Asia making yep. actually didn't travel in the numbers that maybe I would have thought. Just various reasons, long distance harder to do with current COVID restrictions and travel restrictions in some countries. Um, I know I met the Singaporean group of players or a big, you know, a few of the Singaporean players on Sunday, um, but, you know, less than I may would have thought in, in the end not putting any players uh, into, I think, even even top uh, 16. So um, I think we're going to see that region come back with a vengeance once we get to PT2 and maybe towards Worlds and and uh, maybe if there's a PT this side of the world. So that was the one that maybe maybe surprised me. I want to ask you. This is a big one, right? <clears throat> Performance of, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like uh, throw any shade at anyone or anything. Just, I think we'd be surprised when you look at the names in the top eight that a lot of the names weren't as recognizable as maybe some of the calling top eights that we've had in North America. And there's a few things for that, right? These events have been in North America, so North American players are playing, and they're the ones that people have got to know more. Um, but in the end, if you look at recognizable names uh, in terms of this top eight, you'd probably you would you'd be on the underside of what most people would have taken in terms of having people that were recognizable already in this game in top eight. Uh, a lot of first-time top eighters, uh, even players that had just... A lot of players qualified through ProQuest, hadn't top eighted a, a Nationals or a, a calling beforehand. Um, you know, I think if you looked at it, Sasha would be the most, I guess, accomplished player in terms of what he's done so far with those four calling top eights. And I think he's the most accomplished coaches. player in the game, to be fair. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, but, you know, from 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 prior, from the, uh, the I guess, the, the pre-modern era, as I might call it. Uh, and then Isaac, people might be familiar with, with Isaac as well, uh, potentially. Um, but, you know, and Alex, I know Alex is a Canada player people have seen. But, you know, this is Alex's first top eight, I believe, in a, in a major flesh and blood event. So what are your thoughts on just the kind of... Actually, if you look down top 32, top 32 is pretty stacked, though, yeah, if you no, look at top yeah. 32. But the top eight in particular, a lot of fresh names in there. So, yeah, it's hard to sort of break that one down because at the end of the day, I just kind of don't know. I would need another PT as like a sample size, right? But, you know, some of it could be... I, don't, I think that some people would quickly, kind of quickly attribute that to the meta, but I don't think that that's totally fair, right? I like, agree. I think that Flesh and Blood has just been a bit... You know, it's been a bit siloed, right? Like, we have, we have like a sort of unbalanced amount of coverage and eyes on North American flesh and blood and in very much in New Zealand flesh and blood, right? Like New Zealand flesh and blood and names that kind of have come out of that region. It's just been, uh, you know, they've gotten a lot of, they've gotten a lot of coverage, a lot of eyes, a lot of stories, a lot of narratives. So we know a lot of players from those regions, but you look at something like Europe, like they haven't gotten a lot of events to sort of let them, you know, let them come onto the scene. 
We've had some nationals over there. Obviously, like Matt Fox came out of the UK nationals. We had Gregors in Poland, uh, Christian in Germany, et cetera, et cetera. But the the sort of their storylines really haven't been weaved yet in the game. So I think that that's why some of these names kind of come as a surprise. Um, but like I think it just speaks to sort of the skill level and the skill play and what is sort of lurking below, right? Like uh, we we put a lot of weight on people that we expect to perform, but at the end of the day, I think that we've talked about this a lot and so the average the average player's skill level going up but i think even like at the top right at the peak that skill level has really started to sort of creep up and we have a lot of fantastic players now sitting in sort of this uh this high level of flesh and blood skill yep i mean actually that's what i think it is is the fact that we just haven't had enough events we haven't had to focus on these players um these players have have just got into the game it's such a newer thing for a lot of these regions of europe and also um, this is the first time for them to be able to play and travel outside of maybe crack of, of a big event. Um, and then we, we see what happens here. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see in terms of where these players landed. I mean, outside of, like I say, outside of top eight, you know, there is, there is some names you, you might be more familiar with the, the Michael Hamiltons, the, the Matt Rogers, um, of the world in there as well. Uh, I know, um, Justin Wong from New Zealand made top 32, I think. Um, so yeah, Nick Butcher's in there as well. So the, these players are in and around there. And those are the things you're going to start to look for, right? Like how consistently can players, like the names that you're more familiar with, put up. It's not just top eights, right? That's really hard to top eight multiple pro tours, right? That, you look at other games, that's in history, how many people have had more than four or five top eights in a pro tour over a 10, 15-year career is very, very, very minimal, right? There's a lot of things that have to go your way, plus being, you know, some of the best players in the world. But these players that consistently put up top 16s, top 32s, these are the players that... Um, you're going to start to see his name stays and then they're going to get their their top eights every now and again. Um, those are the ones that I'm going to be definitely looking out for. So, you know, come next PT, I'm going to be looking out for um, for your Isaac Kurtz, your Alexander Vores, your William Kubiks. Like, see how these guys have just top eighted run into the next event, you know. We've seen them in top 16s and top 32s as well. I think that's going to be a mark of just how, how good these players are if they can consistently do that because these PTs are only going to get harder. Only going to get harder to day two. Only going to get harder to, well, only going to get harder to qualify. Harder to day two. Harder to top thirty-two, sixteen, top eight, etc. So, yeah. Um, so talk about players. Talk about regionality. Uh, what what do you think? Like, it's really interesting now. I'm not sure how much coverage you've gone back and looked at, but like, what do you think the narrative of this weekend is? Like, is it is it to me? I think it might be Europe. Like Europe's breakout weekend. I think that along with Kano, you know, showing up and, and surprising people and just how open things can be. Uh, when people put the the time effort into it, is a is a big narrative there. Um, ultimately, I don't think Star of the Show was the narrative this weekend, right? We might have thought it could have been even after the bannings. Um, but the other one for me may be the fact that just like the flesh and blood global community is amazing. Like just what a weekend, what an atmosphere at the venue, um, and even outside the venue with everything happening around with coverage and things like that. Just uh, you know, an amazing time and amazing to be a part of flesh and blood. Yeah, like <laughs> I mean this. Don't take this in a negative way. I think this is just in sort of like a retrospective. And I think it's also, I'm saying because it it's kind of funny, but I think one of the narratives of this weekend is hubris, right? Like people, like when people think the meta is the most solved it's ever been, when there's like the most, some of the most dominant heroes we've ever seen, right? Like we have Starvo and Chain, just like these premier, premier decks. And people have really locked into these ideas that these are the decks, right? We have Prism as a target for Starvo. We have Icelex as a target, as a target for Chain. And like, yep. They just saw, I think a lot of people looked at the rest of the, the, the available heroes as like almost unplayable, right? And right when that, like, that got to its most extreme point, it's like, boom, 
Kano comes out. Finally, right? The worst deck or the worst hero in Flesh and Blood, like the most almost agreed upon unplayable, comes out and performs. And I think that that should just be like a wake-up call, right? It's just like, check yourself, check those things that you've been sort of your team believes or that you believe. Because like we were the same way, right? Like we thought the exact same things right until we tried to sort of go for Kano or try to reinvent the wheel. And this, uh, this, this process, this process for us is also like, we go through the same process as everybody else. We play like that trash prism brew or like we try to break the wheel of Brian or mech or whatever. And it's like nine times out of 10 doesn't work. But the one time out of 10 that does like you get to bring us a, a, a deck. That's a surprise and just can kind of blow a lot of people out of the water on the weekend. So like, I think it's really, really cool for flesh and blood history that that happened on the PT. Right, because that could have happened at so many callings and so many pro quests and so many events throughout the history of this game. But for PT one to really just, I don't know, display that, I I, I love it. And <laughs> I guess I'm I guess this is kind of like like we're kind of talking about our deck at this point, which I don't want to do. But that's why I was so proud to pick it up and play it because it was just freaking awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well want to dive in lastly to some questions from this Twitter community, from the Discord community, from just, you know, definitely put a call out to say, what, what should we make sure we cover in this? Um, and we've had some questions. So there's a, definitely a few questions around this, and I'm not going to call out specific people that ask questions because it was just kind of some themes that came out, Brennan. But um, what were sort of, what are some things that maybe would have, could have improved the event uh, and we'd like to see differently heading mm. into France? Some really low-hanging fruit here, which is the calling. Um so the calling uh, capped out and it capped out and like that's that's not ideal like the calling shouldn't cap out they should really be able to sort of uh, at least service the people that are going to be there on that weekend but the reason why it's an issue is because like the calling capped out but there was a tons of round one no shows and drops right so there was just no flexibility on that end and like i think a lot of players missed out when they did from a lo- from a logistical issue right because it was and not from the issue of there actually not being enough spots, but from them not being able to logistically handle getting players into the tournament when there was actually still physical spots left, which there were. Um, so that's unfortunate. I know some people did get really burned by that. I'm really I'm happy that they did institute the thing where if you were in the Pro Tour, you kind of had a guaranteed spot. The calling, that was really nice. I think if I had lost on day one and then I, was, I, I paid before, but say I didn't and I was locked out of playing the calling, that would feel kind of weird. Um, so that was a good thing. But, you know, people traveling all the way to the Pro Tour to play the calling because they didn't have an invite. And then maybe, maybe they didn't book their ticket or whatever it is and not being able to play when there was spots available. Not ideal. Yeah, like in terms of, you know, poor, poor preparation on some people's parts in terms of maybe not getting their tickets sorted, right? That's one thing. But when there is actually literally physical space at these tables because people don't show up for round one and then you, you can't have these people play... Uh, like I had a pretty easy solution, I thought, which was don't start side events until lunchtime on, on the day one of the calling. Allow an extra 10 to 15% capacity. You're going to get drops. They know they're going to get drops. They know they're going to get people who aren't showing up. They're going to get people who just want the, the, the side event packages. And then also after round three and people mathematically can't make it anymore, you're going to get more drops. So you create more space that way, but you allow you know the, the start of the day to be more focused on the calling and then open up side events from there, maybe use some of that space uh, or as soon as you have the extra space because of the no-shows, even in round two, you have more space. So I think that would have been a pretty easy solution to to look at. And I hope that's something that they make sure they have the venue space, they understand the capacity. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't know if it's whether it's a Channel 5 or thing or it's a Legend Story Studios thing, um, but uh, I think... 
like you say, pretty easy improvement there. I think the the other one for me is like just to be honest, where these venues are. I think um, mm. this venue was like quite difficult to. Nah, it's not that difficult to get to, right? Like it's it's pretty close to an airport. There's accommodation around, um, but I really hope that we see. I guess some venues that like uh, Krakow, right? So the Krakow calling that venue looked phenomenal. And I talked to, um, who was I talking to? Oh, Yuanji. Yuanji was saying like, you know, obviously when and won the, the calling. Um, but like the, the venue that was over there was just like phenomenal. Like, you know, it was, this, it was felt really nice to be in. It was really warm and welcoming. And then, you know, you're in this venue that were in the weekend and it was quite, um, at times when it was a little bit emptier and the atmosphere was a little bit lower, it felt quite cold if you know what I mean, like in terms of that it was harder to build that atmosphere. I think we're so lucky that we had just this phenomenal buzz about PT number one and what was happening that kind of put that to the side, to be honest, and overshadowed it because it just created such an atmosphere in there. But I'm a little bit worried for future events. If we continue to be in some of these these types of venues, maybe we can find some that are yeah, a little bit have a bit more character to them. It's, yeah, like, it's yeah. tough. It is, tough, it is but... interesting that the Pro Tour had the worst venue um, out of any major professional event in the United States. So yeah, because Orlando was great. I remember being in Orlando when I traveled there with the U.S. Nationals in the calling. I thought that venue was like, I mean, I've been to, I've been to every different. calling, and this was by far yeah. the worst one. It wasn't like on, yeah, like it wasn't bigger. it wasn't like oh, I don't want to be here bad, but like you said, it was just there was not a lot of personality to it. Um, Facilities weren't great. Yeah, a bit like, far yeah. out of the way. Yeah, I mean, like the bathroom lines were pretty brutal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, they could they definitely could have done better on that one. But I don't know. I don't know what it's like to book a venue in New New York, New Jersey area, or like what kind of contract CFB has because I think that's where I think that's, that's where, what it is. Oh, that, that's always what it is. It's always these like long because these venue contracts, from what I understand, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, they're like long contracts, right? I think they're like in the around like five to ten years or something like that so they're kind of locked in at these certain venues yep um so just on the flip side of that i know tyler had uh, dropped a question in tyler hospital about what we're impressed by and disappointed and i think that both kind of reflect maybe something we were disappointed in was was especially around the calling what about impressed with anything you're impressed with i mean i'm from my side i was just really impressed actually with i think the level of judging had really taken a, a step up from i know when I, even when i was in orlando um, I'm not sure if that's like the presence of having like Josh Scott there and the, the work he's done. I know there was like a judge conference, I think on the Thursday before the players banquet even um, to, to work with judges and things like that. Uh, that that was a big positive for me as I think just the, the way that judge calls and stuff were handled was, um, yeah, I think we started to move some of that more professionalism, which is great. Yeah. Well, I think it was the best coverage that we've had so far. Um, yep. Especially the way that they sort of, transitioned from match to match um from like the first the initial match to the secondary match um and kind of had a lot of commentary and a lot of gameplay going on throughout the stream i thought it was really well done and obviously they had sort of a stellar lineup with the commentators that we were able to get so i thought they sort of crushed it there um and it was in between as well yeah yeah no for sure the interviews like tannins on the floor yeah (laughs) walking around the camera all that so i think they did really well um and then sort of the last one for me is just like the presence of the the people from this like legend story, right? Like James, Chris Gehring, all those people out on the floor just kind of talking with people, talking about the game and just the cool things that they were doing as well. I know James was giving out some cards. You know, they gave out the silver palms at the UPF event. It was just, I don't know. I think it was a great weekend for people that weren't just interested in, in the coverage and, and in yep. the, uh, the pro tour. Which James called a shot about. He said, you know, you've got to be at this first pro tour, whether you're a pro 
to a competitor or not. Uh, and he definitely lived up to that with some of these side events, the commoner event gave away a law book. Like, there's all sorts of yeah. things happening. So many great side events. Um, we've got some questions about Kano specifically. So uh, some people had asked, is it worth to play more Arcane Barrier going forward or just to eat the Kano matchup? That's an interesting one, right, Brennan, because I think right? if you want to play more Arcane Barrier, you have to have a plan to how to use that. It's more than just packing Arcane Barrier into your deck, now running into your deck. You might get an extra little bump that helps you in the matchup, but what you really need in order to tackle Kano, uh, if it's going to be prevalent in this meta, which I'm not even sure that necessarily is going to be. It's, it was like a, it was a case, and it's also not the easiest to play, but is uh, actually a plan of how you're going to use that now, Rune. That's the most important thing. Yeah, um, so if you just like pack a bunch of Nolrun in like your Briar deck, you're probably going to get dunked on either way. Like, you just don't have the resources, right? Like, Kano spells you on his turn, then you go to your turn. Are you just going to forego your forego playing any cards? Um, so, like, just I think if you're playing Guardian, uh, like Nolrun two with Heart of Ice, or maybe just Heart of Ice in general, like those things are annoying. Like those things are not fun to play against, or at least they're harder for us. But Specifically, like Rune Blades playing more Arcane Barrier doesn't really help them too much. I think the Spell Void stuff is actually that's what sucks because it, mm. it depends what kind of Kano deck you're playing too, right? Like this Kano deck, it's a combo deck, so you really only need to block on one turn. Obviously, the less you block, the lower your threshold gets, so the faster you can be comboed. Um, but blocking on the combo turn is the most important thing. Yep, which is where Spell Void obviously helps and with those resource constraints. So yes, it's understanding your plan, right? Like that's where Spell Void versus Arcane Barrier comes to play as well. Um, Nick asks, what's the core 60 of the Kano deck? You play it in the every matchup. It's basically <laughs> the same. We'll talk about that in the deck tech. There's yeah. very few cards. I mean, I don't know about you. I touched, I think, six or seven cards on my sideboard all weekend. It's like a uh, scour, right? We, the scour comes in and we sub and out. Emeritus. Yeah, the scour and the red emeritus. So like the scour and the emeritus both come in for prism and the scour by itself comes in for chain. Other than that, it's a straight 60. Like we definitely could have registered the, the baubles. <laughs> yeah, which I know Sasha wanted to do. Uh, I hedged it a little bit. I played like a D-Pot, a Deja Vu Potion in, in one or two matchups. I played a Chain Lightning a couple of times. But yeah, to be honest, I, I could have not played those as well. So we'll talk more about that in the deck tech. Um, other questions about Kano. Uh, what do we think the reaction will be to Kano? Load more Arcane Barrier or Race before the setup? I think it depends, right? Like you just talked about before, it's about having a plan for the Arcane Barrier. It's about Spell Void versus Null Rune. Um, and I think it's going to depend on what people want to do and also how people take the Kano deck after this are people going to play exactly what we did or are they going to play you know a, a deck that's more aligned with like what Alex was trying to do and he was trying to take advantage of Arcane Barrier through like double spelling and um, things like that so I think it's going to depend on how people actually look to play Kano as to what the reaction is going to be I'm not convinced that Kano is going to have a great showing in this progress season to be honest but I don't we'll think see. so yeah I, I don't think so I don't think that the Kano deck is like a breakout deck that just beats everything no matter what they do right like i think if people come prepared they prepare sideboard slots like there's a lot of really crappy cards in this game for that deck like there's the yeah. guardian one what i don't even know what it's called but i think it's like one of the biggest mistakes steadfast, so that, steadfast like at that card like that would suck so if people are packing steadfast into their sideboard and stuff like oh or elry or the prayer like um, right, yeah Aaron's prayer on the combo turns pretty bad it's <laughs> like come on but um It'll always be there, right? Like Kano is that that monster under your bed. It's just waiting for you to get greedy and think that you have you don't need to think about it anymore, and it's going to come back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. Um, other questions. So that's kind of the Kano questions. What was the the highest high and the lowest low for you, Brendan, this weekend? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the highest high was uh, Sasha top eighting. Like I was really happy to see that. 
just like the overall performances, like I think that we sort of had this idea and it was, it looked like it was doing really well for us, but you know, we could have walked up that turn and been wrong. Like it was very mm-hmm. possible. And I think that the fact that we weren't and we saw good performances, like I was really, I was really proud of that. The lowest low. Um, yeah, just like my team draft performance wasn't ideal, but you know, you got to <laughs> learn from those and pick yourself back up and, uh, I'll be seeing some people in France, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, you'll be looking for money matches. Um, uh, don't tell anyone I said that. Uh, <laughs> for me, I think I like it's Chanel the highest high was just seeing, like hearing Sasha's name called out and succeed and top eight was just so awesome. Um, my lowest low, I didn't really have many lows. To be I had a phenomenal weekend. I had the best time. I, I just, I never felt really down. I would say if anything, it's probably punting my final round of day one. The line was there. I saw the line basically as soon as I played the other line and um, that that annoyed me. But I mean, if that's the worst of it, honestly, like what a weekend, right? <laughs> no, it was like, it was honestly one of the best weekends of my life. And I, I'm pretty yeah. sure Hayden echoes that statement because I know he's looking to uh, looking to spend more time with us over these next, this next, these next few years, maybe. Um, oh, I'd love to. Sparked love a little to. fire in his belly, I think. Um. A few last minute, uh, last questions about to wrap up, Brennan, less on, I guess, the deck or the actual event, but just on the experience of the weekend. So favorite food uh, or favorite restaurant, favorite food in America? I mean, I guess this is maybe for more than me since I don't I don't live there, but maybe we can hear yours. Uh, I, I, someone asked, like, best meal in America. Look, to be honest, I only had one meal out just because of time. My trip ended up getting changed and cut short, um, unfortunately. So I only had the one, like, really nice meal out, which I went for with Sasha and Luke. Uh, down at the pier, which was, yeah, it was really nice. Enjoyed a, a nice glass of wine with that as well. Um, and other than that, I mean, the, the tacos, the Los Tacos were great. And I had a couple of trips to Chipotle. <laughs> yeah, so I actually got to go out on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Oh, you did too? Forgot about yeah, that. with some friends that um, I sort of had in New York. So I was able to go to Jean-Georges, which on uh, Tuesday, which is like a French restaurant near Central Park, which was, which was really good, but I think probably overrated overall. Um, and then I went to this place called Sushi Katsui, which was, um, where is it? Like West Village, Hayden. And that was, mm-hmm. that was amazing. Um, and it was pretty unsuming. Like it wasn't, you know, p- like particularly fancy or anything like that, but they had this sort of omakase, which is like the, the chef's, the chef's choice, uh, sort of set menu. And like I have celiac disease, so they were able to do gluten-free as well, which is always really a struggle with like sushi and Japanese food. It's fine when you order off the menu, but if you do like a, like a chef's choice, it's like, it can be pretty tough because they won't have the substitute stuff. So yeah, I just had this like amazing meal and then we had some nice sake and yeah, I can't recommend that place enough, which is like, so yeah, it's Sushi Katsui in um, like downtown, downtown New York. That was my favorite meal by far. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sad we didn't. We talked about going back there. It was uh, closed. Yeah, it was closed on Sunday. Yeah, didn't, didn't have to get into it. But that's, that's all right. You know, there's lots of things in New York closed on like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, weirdly. I was trying to go to the Natural History Museum, closed on Monday and Tuesday. I mean, that's just crazy to me. But, you know, that's fine. Um, other questions. Uh, if you both had to cosplay in Lil, what would you cosplay as? Literally. This is some amazing cosplay this weekend. Yeah. Some amazing cosplay, both from the professional cosplayers that were there, but also from the cosplay contest. Uh, I know, uh, I think Carolina is her name, one with the Exu Confidence 
cosplay, which I know she put a ton of they put a ton of time and effort into. It looked phenomenal. So uh, yeah, but just so many good. I think I think in the cosplay competition, I think there was like something like twenty people or something in there. That's crazy. Um, there were so many. Yeah, so uh, fantastic to see. But yeah, Brendan, what would you? What think would I cosplay? cosplay? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, I will dress up and put on anything for that Taylor card. So you tell me. I will I will wear anything and I will cosplay anything. Just if there's a Taylor promo at the end of that tunnel, doesn't matter. Um well I'm gonna I'm probably cosplay as uh Flake. I'm gonna be watch Flake, that's my cosplay. <laughs> you know what? I could do I you know, because we because we uh because we played Wizard, I could do like an old man, like old wizard cosplay, which it's weird because it's actually coincidentally that's a Tan and Grace cosplay. I could just be like an old wise wizard. Far past my days, yeah, yeah. like a Bilbo Baggins, you know, just like thousands of years old. Maybe that one. Love it, but love it. Um, <laughs> uh, Peter asks, <laughs> "How many shoes did I bring to traveling?" Peter saw me with three different uh, pairs of shoes during the weekend. Look, yeah, my suitcase was dedicated to uh, <laughs> outfits. That's for sure. I had to, I had to scramble to grab some cards on the on the Friday that I didn't have with me because you know I had to sacrifice the space for. An extra jacket, so you know. <laughs> yeah, Hayden. Hayden actually had to borrow all of his decks and cards from me. He just only packed clothes, but he looked good while doing it. So, oh, I got the I got the biggest compliment from James White over the weekend. I'm gonna keep it. I told a few people about it, but I'll keep it to myself. But James White said a very nice thing to me, which I was very happy about when we we caught up. So, um, yeah. Uh, last question. I think Brendan here. Uh, I'm just scrolling through. How do you deal with jet lag when traveling so far for PT1? I actually guess this question is again for me. Found myself crashing right after each day of the event and being wide awake at 3 to 4 a.m. in the morning. That sounds awful, Kai. Uh, not something that you want to have. Uh, I get very lucky and I don't don't get jet lag. But the, the one thing that does help me as well, I think the one thing I do to help myself is like as soon as I leave whatever, you know, where I'm coming from Australia is like just get on the just get on the time zone and just like power through it. Like don't, I don't sleep on the plane unless it's at a time I would normally sleep. I think that's like that's like a death sentence if you start to like fall into like these weird patterns of sleep um, because when you show up there then you're already on sort of weird sleep patterns so and then when I get to say when I got to New York it was like in the afternoon and it was like okay well I just can't sleep until it's bedtime tonight and then just try and get a normal sleep pattern from there it's it's tough it's not easy but um you know you just kind of got to trick your body a little bit I think yeah um so what was the name of the person that asked this question this is Kai all right uh, Kai let me tell you Kai something Yang. Like, yes, Hayden does beat jet lag, but he's also the worst person to take advice from because he's a freaking psychopath. I've never seen anybody function on less sleep and just, like, change time zones like this guy. I don't know what he does. I think it's actually genetic, but he actually is not affected by jet lag. It's ridiculous. And also can barely sleep and just function at a very high level. So Tarek, I know Tarek Patel actually put up a nice article about how to beat jet lag for a card gamer, um, and I would look into that. But Hayden is... I don't even know how he does it. He's he's built different, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've also dodged COVID as well, so. Yeah, but you're, he's know. just like, yeah, I'll pop down for the weekend and play a tournament. I'm like, Jesus Christ, sounds terrible. You're gonna be so jet lagged. He's like, no, no, no I don't feel, I don't get jet lag. I didn't believe him. Honestly, I didn't believe him until I saw in Orlando, and then I, I mean, this one was New Jersey in particular. I just, I don't even understand how you maintain the schedule that you did this weekend. <laughs> I may not have slept on one one particular evening. Uh, almost almost uh, <laughs> but that's okay um awesome i think that's gonna wrap it up we had some this is like some of these questions we asked i kind of amalgamated some questions from across different different parts of uh the community 
into what we talked about. But yeah, thank you again to everyone for the questions. Thank you to everyone that came up to us. I just want to say, Brennan, to, to everyone that came up and had a chat to us. Uh, we we took a, pictures with people this weekend. People were so nice. I don't know why people want a picture of me. Um, but, you know, we, we did that and uh, signed some stuff. And people were just amazing. Like, I had such great conversations. Had an awesome time interacting with people and, and meeting so many people I hadn't. And meeting people, again, that I'd met previously in places like Orlando or through our Discord, through Twitter, whatever it is. Um, Honestly, like probably the highlight of my my weekend was just just the people. Yeah, that was a it was a wild experience. I obviously echo that entire statement, but um, I I just can't put it into words. Like it's surreal, right? Like it's surreal for us to sit behind a computer screen and a microphone and to have conversations with that many people and hear about things like impact and just appreciation and like. I'm at a loss for words, but thank you all. Thank you to everyone that came up. It, it means a lot more than than you would expect. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I know people were saying like, oh, you know, don't mean to take up your time and things like that. People are so nice and courteous, but also um, it's also really nice for us as well. So, you know, we get to meet people um, and, and make sure just hearing that like what we do with the podcast and, and with our videos and things like that, people actually enjoy them and it, it means something to them and they get to actually learn from us is, is like the coolest thing uh, because you know, as much as we just do this for ourselves as well, it's really cool to know that other people get something out of it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Brendan, do we have a Google review this week before we sign off? Or are we taking a break this week from the Google reviews? All right, Hayden. So no Google review this week, but that's only because we're going to hype up next week, which is going to be very special. So next week, whoever writes the funniest review between now and next week's podcast will not only be featured on the Arsenal Pass podcast during this section, but will also win a full play set of extended art heralds as well as an Eclipse playmat. So you get the full thing. Um, and if you want to win, Hayden, tell them where to get it. By the way, I want to remind you, funny is the most important factor in which we critique these. <laughs> but five stars uh, does five help stars, as well. It does help as well. But Hayden, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you submit a review to Arsenal Pass? Uh, yeah, well, you go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass and uh, leave us your review. And, um, you know, honest is good. Funny is good. Five stars is even better. But, you know, if you, if you don't really want to go five stars, you don't have to. Um, you know, but uh, should you? <laughs> anyway, Brendan, as, as Brendan says, you can win a, a nice juicy Eclipse Man and some uh, or a play set of Full Art Herald of Rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah. Other than that, Brendan, that's going to do it for episode 58. A bit of a longer one today as we recap the PT, talk about Kano, talk about, you know, a bit of a retrospective, answer some questions, and um, we'll be back next week. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about, but probably something to do with Uprising and Blitz as we head towards the calling or the ProQuest season, maybe. So much going on right now in the world of Flesh and Blood. So many things to talk about. I do just want to say before we go, if you aren't subscribed to the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel, make sure you do so. We're going to be back with some videos through this ProQuest season and into Uprising, talking Limited, talking Constructed, talking Blitz, all the things relevant, all the decks you're looking for. Look out for that Kano Deck Tech and uh, sort of the Patreon piece of that as well with all the math and everything. The, the full cyborg guide will be there as well. Um, Twitter. Me and Brendan are both on Twitter. Check us out. Brendan APG for Brendan and at Fian underscore Dale for me. Like the tunic, like my last name. Um, talking all things fab related, uh, we post, you know, we've been posting things from the weekend, retweeting Channel Fireball's memes, which have been phenomenal over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't checked out Channel Fireball's memes from the weekend, so good. Uh, apparently, people are Team Brendan or Team Hayden Brendan. I didn't know about this. Uh, Did I tell? I told you that I got that framed. By the way, the Blazing Ether Parental Advisory music cover. It's framed. Sasha, I, Sasha has one now too, but it's up on up on my Where's office mine? wall. I'll get you one. I also, you like that life pad I got you, right? <laughs> so good. 
So good. I've got to post a video of this. Brendan got me the bit, one of the best gifts I've ever had. He got me an Arsenal Pass life pad, which I used all weekend. I'm going to post a little video of it. It's uh, honestly one of my most thoughtful gifts, and I didn't think Brendan was capable of it. So thank you, Brendan. Jeez. That's a nice, that's yeah. a, that's an interesting way of saying thank you. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's my favorite thing that you've, that you've given me. So thank you very much. Ugh, it's even better than the smooch goodbye in Orlando, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we we're better for others. Um, <laughs> Uh, lastly, Patreon, big thank you to all of our patrons. Met a lot of you over the weekend. And um, I was going to say Orlando in New Jersey. Thank you again for your support. If you do want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Pass and, and check out the things we're doing for you know extra podcasts, uh, monthly videos. We're going to be doing, of course, the, the Kano Deck Tech on YouTube, but the guide and uh, some extra sideboarding stuff and the math will go up on, on the Patreon. Uh, plus, we'll, we're going to do a gameplay review, I think, as well from pt and probably a kano game just go in depth about some of the lines and stuff that go on there so check out patreon otherwise brennan we'll uh we'll see you next week see you everybody